the one and only Pastor Jude Fuquay. Pastor Jude, thank you for being on the podcast with us. Thank you for having me. It's such a delight and a joy. And a yeah, it's a, it's a real honor for us. And I don't mean specifically to have you. You've been um, such a, an influential voice in my life over the years and like really key moments, which is wild. Um, but I met you, I was 18 years old. I was somehow they thought that I should lead this like youth camp mm. for this group of churches in the middle of nowhere Wisdom. In, in Oklahoma. Wisdom. And At yeah, least it really was in the wise. middle of middle of nowhere. So something went drastically wrong. Yes. Yeah. So they literally were like, <laughs> it you're wouldn't 18. affect too many yeah. people. Yeah. They're like you're 18, <laughs> you're volunteering at the church. Here's a budget. Go figure on how to put a youth camp. So just had never booked a guest speaker before. So we booked Pastor Jude. He came out middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, like probably a two-hour drive from the airport. Just so gracious, uh -huh. like, you know. Um, and then spoke. And then Pastor Jude, I don't know if you remember this. The next day I was driving you to the airport. And uh I will never, I'm literally here with like my youth ministry hero. Mm -hmm. We ate at Cracker Barrel. Obviously. Oh, we get we get in the car, middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. Like cell phones don't aren't even working where we're at. Were there point. such a thing as cell phones back then? Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah, these like all yeah. <laughs> um and we're driving, and all of a sudden I just the only thing I can explain is like, I, I started to get so sick and um, well, white. I, <laughs> you'd have thought Satan appeared in car and he was trying to man up and like have this artificial faith. I'm good. I'm good. But I'm a dad. It's like, pull the car over right now. You're sick. He got up. He didn't just throw up. He barked, ralphed, spewed, hewed, all in one vomit. <laughs> And he, was, and he was trying to apologize. And, and I was apologizing. I thought I should have never taken you to Cracker Barrel. But I did not <laughs> was it food poisoning? That. No, I think he's used to tofu and he couldn't take that. That's what it was. Great southern, uh, yeah. you know, fry your cat, mm. fry your grandmother and put gravy on it mm. all. Yeah. Which yeah. Just, <laughs> and then eat biscuits. Yeah. You know? And then, of course, a lot of bacon. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah. It was, um, I'm sitting there, I'm literally, I, I mean, and maybe I've now just invented this in my mind over the years, but I'm literally like, it, I think we pulled into like a Walmart parking lot yeah. and I'm like leaned out the car and he's just like, in Jesus name, like praying for me <laughs> as I'm on, I'm just puking. It was, it was oh, not, a, not a great, not a great experience, but <laughs> Um, so that was how I met you, Pastor Jude. Um, We're and, uh, and you've honestly just been such a, uh, an inspiration to me. Why don't you just, um, for maybe some of our audience that maybe have heard of you, but maybe don't know the full backstory, just give us like a quick overview of kind of your story up until now. I and mean, I know there's so many layers to that, but um, <laughs> just a quick overview, because you are a leader to so many voices, influential voices in the body of Christ you've been doing this for so long. And so maybe just give us a quick, like where you are now and what got you here. Well, let's see. I was born in 1960. I was born, I have a twin sister. So I have a womb mate, had a womb mate. I'm not in the womb anymore. And we were born two months premature and I was dropped on my head at birth. True story. I came out of my mom's womb and the nurse was talking. The doctor wasn't there. So at the mere uh, seven months, I weighed a three, uh, a mere three pounds. Wow. And it's a miracle that we made it. My dad, he wasn't really a good Catholic, 
but he believed in God and he was a chain smoker. And he said, uh, this makes me cry. He said, in this today, I, this is why I do believe in miracles. I don't care where your theology is. God is a miracle working God. And my dad said, God, if you let my babies live, I'll never smoke again. We did. He didn't smoke ever again. And they named me Jude, J-U-D-E, not after the Beatles song, which I really like. And most people think that I was named after, hey, Jude. And they actually attempt to sing that song to me as if I never heard it and introduced <laughs> me to the Beatles. But I was named after the hopeless, the saint of hopeless causes. And so if you're hopeless, you're watching this, listening, wow. and you're saying, I got you. God does miracles. And so for me, I always had a sense. I never really my entire life because of that ever felt God was bad. I never felt he was trying to harm me, especially being raised in Catholicism, where I would go to Holy Cross Elementary, Central Catholic. Sometimes, I mean, even that Catholic prayer, you know, bless me as I go to sleep. Should I die before I wake? Mm -hmm. Who in the heck gets their kid to pray a prayer like that? That's scary. Isn't so terrified of falling asleep? No, I know it's worse than Jason on Friday the 13th. I don't want to pray that. You know, and you get terrified. But I I don't know. I I was never afraid uh, of that. I had a sense that was God was for me. Then in eighth grade, my parents sent my twin sister and I to a Christian camp in Colorado. We were born and raised in the bayous of Louisiana. And it was six weeks. They didn't do it for spirituality. Look, my dad was 48 when I was born. He was just trying to get us out of the house to be with my mother, who he adored. And so we were there for six weeks. And that last night of six weeks, they gave us a cross made out of popsicle sticks and said, go away and invite Jesus into your life. And I promise you, as much as I I am breathing in this moment, God became even more real. And I knew he loved me and I knew I was forgiven. I knew he, and when I invited him into my heart, I knew I would be changed forever. And so when I got home from that camp back to Louisiana, I told my parents, I don't want to go to the Catholic church. I want to go to the Baptist church. And they go, why? And they said, because they actually read the Bible and I want to start reading the Bible. So my mom said, no, she goes, Baptists go to church too much. They go to church on Wednesday. Then you're going to have to go on Friday. Then you're going to have to go Sunday morning, Sunday night. She goes, we're too busy for that. She goes, you do that when you get out of the house. And I remember that night praying, saying, God, when I get out of high school, I I will find you and you'll find me and I'll fully serve you. And so after high school, I would travel with an international group called Up With People All Over the World. And it was during that time I read the New Testament for the first time. After that, I would uh, go to a Pentecostal church in 1980, and I was changed forever. And then I found myself at Or Roberts University, the mecca of the charismatic prosperity movement. Mm-hmm. And that was sovereign, and I'm forever grateful that's where I was initially trained. And you see, to me, that if you ever go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you begin to look at the Hebrews hall of the faith hall of fame, and all of them, their faith had an action. Abraham, Noah believed he built a boat. Abraham believed he put his son on an altar. Sarah believed she received strength to conceive. You see the action that follows faith. However, it's that first one. It's the first person in the Hall of Fame. He has no action. Something happened to him, and his name is Enoch. 
And it says Enoch walked with God, then he was no more because God took him and he had this testimony that he pleased God. Bam. The greatest scripture on faith, probably in the Bible, verse six, whoever comes to God must believe that he is. Then whether it's Paul or Apollos who wrote uh, Hebrews, whoever the author is, I think it's Paul. He chose to use that word, must believe he is a rewarder. Mm -hmm. So he uses the word reward as an overarching umbrella to show who the God we're having faith in, that he's not a punisher. He is a rewarder. He's not stalking you to harm you. He's stalking you to bless you. (laughs) And so when people ask me, what do I think of the faith movement? It's like, is there any other? Do you want to be a part of the doubt movement? Do you want to be a part of I can put on my own movement? Do you want to be a part? It's me and my genius way I communicate and create content. You think that's going to save your world? Without faith, you can't please God. Now, listen to this. Go back to Enoch. Faith isn't anything you generate. Think of this. Faith is like your breath. You've been breathing the whole time we've been talking, but you don't even, you're not conscious of it. Now, if I put your head underwater and hold you for two minutes, you're going to be very conscious of your breath. Or if you get maybe asthma or emphysema or some type of breathing weakness, you're going to be conscious of your breath. When I'm conscious of my faith, I'm unconscious of Jesus. But when I'm conscious of Jesus, I'm unconscious of my faith. I want to be like Enoch, where it says he walked with God as a lifestyle, as a relationship, as a journey. Then he was no more. Why? Action, a divine action happened. God took him because he had this testimony. He pleased God. So listen to me, Michael, hear it. When people try to talk or pick apart faith, it's unwise in any way, because you see, faith isn't anything you do. Okay, let me show you what I mean by that. My boys, they all play baseball. My grandson, Jack, is now on a coach pitch team. Oh, my gosh, he is the best kid. I'm telling you, Jack Boone Fuquay is the best baseball player in all of Vacaville. You should hear see that kid pop that ball. So I think that's what a lot of young believers think. Faith, oh, I gotta believe. Oh, I got up, oh, struck out again. It's not how this beginning faith works at all. It would be better to say Jack didn't hit the ball, Jack was hit by the ball, or Enoch didn't hit the ball, the ball hit Enoch. And all of a sudden, he believed in this massive, amazing, big, infinite, I mean, uh, infinite God. And he believed. And so for me, faith isn't just trying to get what you want. It is a trust that goes to the core of the any human being. And we are not saved by grace through self-will. We're not saved by grace through trying to have faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And I call that saving faith. And saving faith is faith that raises the dead. I didn't find Jesus. I was dead. He found me and he resurrected me. And that night in Colorado, a dead man came to life and God came into my heart and I have not veered. I have not. I know that I know that I know my faith. in. I know as much as I breathe. And I would like to say, I think sometimes there's been where people will use some of the faith principles of the men and women who created and led and shaped the word of faith movement. And they focused on the principles more than the God 
that they can believe in. So also in Hebrews 11, it said, get this, this is all King James. I'm not talking about LeBron. I'm talking about King James version. It says this, that the Egyptians presumed they, they crossed through the Red Sea in presumption. Presumption looks a lot like faith, but it's not faith. And it never has the same result of faith. I think what's dangerous to me was never a word faith movement. It's what we did with it. Those of us mm. who were uh, maybe touched in, it was misused. It was misapplied. You know, if someone buys a Tesla, I mean, it's a great car, but God, it pretty much dries itself. Go ahead, put it in the ocean and let's see if it's going to float and be, you know, a boat and take you to Cabo San Lucas. It's not going to happen. It wasn't designed for that. And I, I I think one of the problems is, is when people, t- they take the principles of faith, they, they have to write a book, then they create a seminar, then you go to the faith conference and we're following someone who God told them to do this to get their results, but maybe God didn't want us to do that. Maybe God wanted to release faith another way. And for me, and I'll end on this one, I believe faith comes only by one way, by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And I think a problem sometimes a challenge. Well, oh yeah, I already believe God. All right, yeah, I already done that, did that, have that t-shirt. Yeah, well, sorry, faith isn't something you did. It's something that happened to you and it's still happening to you. And without faith, you have no oxygen to move forward with the God you say you believe in. And so I'm not trying to use God. Uh, I'm not, uh, I want God to use me. And so my faith is probably the most precious thing I have in my being. It sets us apart than animals or others. And so I don't know. That's my take on faith. Faith comes by hearing Mm -hmm. and hearing and hearing. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would do if I did not have faith. Would you say, Pastor Jude, in respect to the gift of faith that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, is that something that you view as like permanently embedded in a person as a gift? Absolutely not. Okay, no. so you would see it as no. like a uh, an occurrence no. that happens. I would say what I think is embedded. You tell me, let's have this dialogue and tell me what you think on this. Let's think of N.T. Wright and John Piper. Let's think of reform movement and then uh, all the other, I mean, the movements in Christendom that aren't believing in total Calvinism. And so... John Piper would say, we are saved by grace through faith, and that faith is a gift of God. He's quoting Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and he says this, that faith uh, God gave, like it was simultaneous when the grace of God that's unearned, undeserved, unmerited comes on that person, and that faith almost simultaneously is released. That was a gift of God. And John Piper would say this, I think he thinks N.T. Wright or another way to go about those words is that he would say, we think, and I don't, we're saved by grace through self-will, my choice. No, I'm not saved by my choice. No, this is where I want your intelligence, and we're going to dialogue. In Romans 12, Paul says this, God has given to everyone a measure of faith. And so this is my take on faith. I believe God has given any human being that has ever been born in all seasons, in all times, a measure of faith, that gift that can believe him. 
I personally think humanity is totally depraved. I believe sin has affected our will, our life, our decisions, our bodies, our mind. But guess what? God, I believe, gave to everyone a measure of faith. And in there, on the other side with grace, it also says the grace of God has appeared. Now, listen to what it says. The grace of God has appeared to all teaching them to say no. And what are they saying no to? Not drinking, smoking, choking, and going with girls who do. To say no to ungodliness. And ungodliness means no God. Mm -hmm. It means a total humanistic, secular approach to living. And even Paul says in Romans 1, uh, 8, 17, no, 18, you know what 16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, power of God, salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Greek, for in it, the power, the righteousness of God is revealed, and the righteous or the just will live by faith. Then he says this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, get this, against ungodliness mm-hmm. and unrighteousness. Why would he use two similar words? Unrighteousness is when we do wrong, and that's where our nation is right now in the world, you, you can't have right living when you don't have God. And the recipe for unright, uh, unrighteousness or wickedness that we despise in our land and what's going on in the world is a result of having no God. And I don't know if the greatest evil of communism is that they absolutely have an approach to living without believing in God. They don't believe. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean they don't believe. You see, everyone has a believer. I believe everyone who's breathing has a believer. It's But they may not be believing in God. Where do you put your faith? Is it in your education? Is it in your government? Is it in yourself? Is it in your culture, your gender? Now, let's go back. Paul says the wrath of God is against ungodliness and unrighteousness. I'll tell you right now. Probably the greatest two evils of communism in the fathers of men and women that shaped it, and even nations now trying to overtake the world with it. I'll tell you the two, it will never work. It will only bring hell to the earth. And I'm going to tell you two reasons. Number one, no God. Number two, they underestimated evil. And the greatest evil in the world, believe it or not, and there's a lot of evil in our world, from war to murder to crime to abuse to racism, there's a lot of evil. But let me tell you, with the communists, they fail to recognize they have no power to overcome evil. There's only one who can overcome evil and has overcome evil, and that is Jesus Christ. I'm not putting my faith in Starbucks. I'm not putting my faith in Shakespeare. I'm not putting my faith even in Toyota. Oh, a lot of people did until the brakes went out. Come on, our faith is in God. Our faith is in God. And without God, even our founding fathers said, this government is for the people, by the people, through the people, because of the people. However, the people will never rightly govern themselves without God. Why? God is the only one who can overcome such evil. And how did he do it? He became a human being. And he would go to a cross and he would die for the evil and sin of the world that we can be born again and have a new life. So for me, faith is, I believe everyone has faith. Now, let me just say one more thing because you're going to, you have to ask me questions or I'll talk the whole time. You got <laughs> the most unscriptural prayer that any Christian can pray. Let me just, no, back up. Now, let's deal just with believers. 
the most unscriptural prayer a believer can play, and I've heard it so many times, especially if they're not in a faith movement. Lord, give me faith. Mm-hmm. Oh, that you couldn't be a Christian if you didn't have faith. Mm-hmm. He's already given you faith. Oh, you of little faith. And so if faith can be little, then it can be big. And faith isn't, I mean, doubt, let me say it this way. Doubt is not the absence of faith, Michael. It's putting your faith in the wrong source. Mm -hmm. Everyone has faith. It just depends where you place it. For me, faith is like my breath, but it's also like my eyes. With my eyes, I see everything except my eyes, unless I'm looking in a mirror. With my faith, I see everything. So faith becomes the lens of our lives. Is my lens focused in my education, government, me making the world better? Or is it focused on the most beautiful God you could ever meet, who's gracious and kind? My faith is in God. And so that's a little bit on faith. To go back to answer you, I believe that God's given everyone a measure of faith. I believe when you're saved, that's called saving faith. Remember, Jesus told the woman, woman, go your way. Your faith has saved you. That's several times in the gospel. Now, when Jesus says your faith has saved you, Faith, that saving faith isn't anything you do. It's something that was done to you. It's like Michael got threw up and now today he still has vomit on his clothes. It's something that happened in the past, but it has current day ramifications. It's a one-time past action. I was saved and, and it's, I didn't have anything to do with it, but I responded not in choice, not in self-will, John Piper, but in faith in God. And God gave me that believer. He gave, I believe, everyone a measure of faith. Now, the gift of faith, that is a gift. And you mentioned 2 Corinthians 12, which mentions the nine gifts. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, brethren. Then he goes on, he lists the nine gifts. One of them is the gift of faith. Then you go to the end of chapter 12, and he says this. I will, at the very last verse, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. Mm-hmm. But before he tells us a more excellent way, he says, does everyone mm-hmm. prophesy? Mm-hmm. Natural answer is no. Mm-hmm. Is everyone going to speak in tongues? Is everyone going to interpret? Is everyone going to operate in miracles? And you could see really in the logic of Paul's writing is no, no, no. Then, and everyone then thinks that Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. I guess you could say that it's not, though, because if you take chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, it's Paul writing on these gifts, which one of these gifts are the gifts is the gift of faith. Now, this is what I think he's meaning. I have, I have utilized, I say one of the greatest gifts given to me. And the gift of faith is not saving faith. My saving faith, my faith in the God who saved me is not the faith of gift of faith. Saving faith is that belief that in, uh, embraced, encountered, and allowed grace in the presence of the Holy Spirit to come in and invade everything of your life. That's saving faith. Now, listen to what Paul says. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. He says, if you speak with the tongues of men and angels, that's one of the gifts, Mm -hmm. you don't have love, you're simple. Now get this next one. You got to get it. And I'm going to teach you about faith and it could change your life forever. 
He says, if I uh, have the gift of prophecy, where I understand all mystery and have all knowledge, mm -hmm. then he says this, if I have the gift of faith, and what does it say next? If I have, he defines it for you. You don't even have to define it. You ask me if the gift of faith can, does everyone have it? Can you grow it? Uh, does, you, it's not an automatic or instant thing. You know, to me, one of the most pathetic things, and I actually think it may be worse than what some people call the faith movement. The only thing worse than that is an unbelieving believer. Mm -hmm. That is nauseating. You mm -hmm. call yourself a believer, not you, but someone would call themselves a believer, but you don't believe. And how in the world can you believe in a God to forgive you of your sins, to heal you, make you well, but you can't believe him to get you a parking spot or pay your rent or uh, provide food for you? Really? And so let's go back to the gift of faith. I speak in tongues. I have prophecy, understand all mystery, all knowledge. Get this. If I have the gift of faith, and he de describes it as so that I can move a mountain, and then he goes and talks about love. Then, so listen to this. Then in 14, he says, if I speak in tongues, I speak to God. I speak in tongues, my spirit prays. I speak in tongues. Listen to this. In my spirit, I speak a mystery, although my mind is unfruitful. Okay, so I want to begin to tell you this. This is how the gift of faith has worked for me. Uh, and I'll give you just, and I could tell you at least maybe 75, no hundreds, but up the top of my head, I could teach you, I mean, tell you 70 to 75 stories. And this is how I released the gift of faith in my life. Now, I don't want to be one of those charismatic that take you to my charismatic faith seminar and give you three things, but this is in the Bible and Paul did write it. So my dad had a heart attack and died on June 22nd, 1976. Years would pass. 10 years later, I have a business degree. I was working for Procter & Gamble. Then, you know, it was over $100 million of accounts. I would go and I'd become a youth pastor with Wally and Marilyn Hickey. And daddy would die uh, when I was in high school. On June 22nd, 1986, my mom had two massive heart attacks. Her quadruple bypass surgery failed. And they said, your mom will be dead by the time you get to Louisiana. And I was on a plane and I started crying because mama wasn't safe. And I just simply told the Lord, because I don't like when people try to manipulate God with so-called faith, as if God can be manipulated. My, I'm, with my faith, I'm not trying to get twist God's arm. With my faith, I'm hoping God's going to change and transform my life and my will. And so I was on a plane, and it was I was in the middle seat and coach, and I started crying. I had an NIV student study Bible in 1986, and I said, God, Mama's going to die. And she's going to hell. And I'm not going to want to go to heaven if mama's in hell because I love mama. And I'm asking you, don't let her die yet until I lead her to you. And so I just lightly, lightly prayed in tongues. So much so if you were on the right or the left of me, you wouldn't have even known. My mouth didn't even move. So anyone who makes the gifts of the spirit emotional, I don't think they've ever experienced them. And so when I lightly prayed in tongues, I'm showing you the gift of faith. One word came to me, shadow. And it was followed by a scripture. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. I said, Lord, in my head, I said, tell me something I don't know. I lightly continue to pray in tongues. Remember, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, though I have the gift of prophecy and in my spirit, I speak a mystery. 
And then if I have the gift of faith, I release them out. I move them out. So I lightly prayed this way. This all happened in 90 seconds, by the way. It's taken me longer to describe it than it did the actual experience. The word shadow came a second time. And I said, Lord, what are you trying to say? A scripture came to me. Acts 5, Peter's shadow fell on sick people and they were healed. The word shadow came to me a third time as I lightly spoke in tongues under my breath without my lips moving. And oh, good God, he moves me today. Shadow. He said, your mother is not abiding in the shadow of death. She abides under my shadow. She will live. She will not die. And I'm telling you right now, every bit of my being had no doubt. I didn't have to say it. I didn't have to name it. I didn't have to claim it. I didn't have to blab it, grab it, confess it, possess it. It was my reality. I knew it was already done. I had the experience of Abraham himself where you call something into reality, even though it may not be that present reality. I had become like a woman who was impregnated with a faith and I knew mama would make it. When I got to Louisiana, mama was barely making it. But I want you to know a letter to Jesus Christ. And at the age of 69, my mother accepted Jesus Christ. She would live 15 years after that. She would be publicly water baptized. And when she did die, I was with her and she went straight to heaven. I don't know about you, but anyone who thinks that uh, the gift of faith is automatic, they've never operated in faith. The gift of faith is for unique situations in a believer's life that is beyond their pay scale. It's beyond their culture. It's beyond their society and what's happening. And it takes you into the world and the being of God. And you can't find God with your natural mind, Paul says. The natural mind is enmity against God. Romans 8 says, can't even submit to God, can't yield to God. And so it's something about praying in the spirit. So what is the conclusion? I will pray in the spirit. Mm-hmm. I will pray with my understanding. And somehow through those two exercises, the gift of faith is released and it grows and you become familiar with how the spirit of God releases faith to move obstacles out of our lives. So man, that was such a, that was good. I want to maybe, I guess, like drill a bit deeper into that. So you kind of had this really formational experience that, um, I guess really changed the way or, or sort of gave you this new revelation on faith and what faith can do. Even just the story you just told with your mom, how, how would you say that that informed? Um, like I recently came across a YouTube channel uh, that I guess they had uploaded all of the city church sermons and like pastor windows. This is maybe like a year ago. And I just, I probably watched that stuff for a month straight and just was remembering just the miracles that you guys experienced uh, as a result of faith. How do you think just some of those early experiences informed kind of what you would have seen God do later on over the course of the rest of your ministry and even up until now? And maybe just tell us one or two of like those crazy stories of faith. For me, again, faith comes through a relationship and hearing. You will never release your faith without hearing. And Jesus says you have ears, but you don't hear. And it's hearing and being sensitive and aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit through Scripture. And I would say the day and age that we live in, in an overcrowded, overnoisy, I would beg people to come out of the noise to simply listen. I believe why people, some people judge like, I guess, an extreme faith approach to life. 
because we've seen abuses with such things. But to me, it all goes to the point of copying someone. We were all born in original. Most will die a cheap imitation because they did not daily trust God. And to do that, you have to hear God. And so I remember, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer what you asked me to answer, but uh, I had faith when God met me in eighth grade. And then when I would be called to go to Oral Roberts University, that was miraculous. I knew it. And he made a way. And that story in and of itself can make you fall off that couch. So I knew at that, that uh, day, and let me just say this, my family had a successful business. They were affluent, and I could have went to college anywhere. But because God led me to Oral Roberts University, a Christian university, and let me be clear, a Pentecostal healing man ministry that had faith at the center of it. And so when people speak of faith and prosperity in these types of ministers, my first four years into Christ, I'm at that university. And so when I got to Seattle with Wendell and Jenny, they had come from City Bible with Brother Dick Iverson. City Bible was never known really for faith. They were known for character and Bible. And I remember when I got to Seattle, I thought, Lord, why didn't you send me to Portland Bible College and Bible Temple? Why did you send me to Oral Roberts University? And once again, silence yourself and wait for God to speak to your mind, your heart. If it's goofy and it goes against scripture, it was the pizza you had the night before. Don't panic. You have to learn to discern between your feelings, your voice, your uncle, your uncle's voice, your parents' voice, culture's voice, the voice of Satan, the voice of your nature. And you got to just silence that. And I kid you not, you know what he impressed on my mind? Because some people go, that's so weird. He said, God speaks. Well, he does. And Tozier said, if you believe that God once spoke because you embrace the Bible, then you must believe he still speaks today. And without God speaking today, the planets would crash into each other. God holds this universe together. How? By the word of his power, his speaking voice. And so when I said, God, why not Bible Temple first? Why not Portland Bible College? Larry, he said, son, if I'd have sent you there, you'd have had character in Bible, but you'd have had no faith. He said, you'd have never moved with Wendell. He says, that's why even though Seattle, he spoke this to me, is only three hours away from Portland, only three people moved with Wendell and Jenny after 20 years in one church. Why? They didn't have enough faith to drive three hours. Wow. Can I say, I had enough faith to get my wife, two children in a U-Haul and drive 2,265 miles. Why? Because faith in Wendell did not impart faith to me. I don't even know if he had a strong faith. God sent Don Ostrom and Jude Fuquay to Wendell and go read his book, Great Faith. You'll see my name in it, Don's name in it, Wendell's name in it. Why? You show me a group of men and women who are going to dare to believe God, and I am going to show you a group of people that are going to have a supernatural quality to their lives. Come on, really? Are we going to outperform Justin Bieber and Katie and MTV? Are we going to really outdo all that's going on? I'll tell you what outdo anyone is faith in God. I have a faith in God. So when it came to Seattle, it goes back to what I was telling you. I would say, this is before cell phones, by the way, and internet. I would pray a prayer consisting, Lord, what is your perfect will for my future? I kid you not, when I'm asking that question, still myself, praying the Spirit, read scripture, 
He said, you're going to work with Wendell and Jenny one day. And I thought, okay. And then every, for four and a half years, that kept coming to me. And, I, and every time I prayed, could you not? I said, God, what is your perfect will for my future? Within 24 hours, Wendell Smith would call me on a landline. We didn't have cell phones back then. He said, you know, I was just thinking about, this makes me cry. <laughs> I am so glad my life was not natural and normal because it would have been pathetic. Wendell called and said, Jude, I was just praying for you. And I promise you, I think God put you on my heart. I think we're going to work mm. together. And then he called one night in 1992. <laughs> I said, God, what do you want me to do with my future? The phone rings within an hour and a half and it's Wendell. I believe, Jude, Jenny and I are going to be leaving Portland, then Bible Temple and Manor House now. And we're going to Seattle. I have no money. And people talk about prosperity. How in the world can you start a church with nothing if you have nothing? If you have a God who has everything you can and you believe in that God who has everything. He said, uh, would you guys pray about it? I can't offer you a job. I can't offer you any money. I don't even have an office for you. Will you come and help me start the church? And the spirit of God said, this is it. And when he hung up, I got on my knees and I said, then speak to me, speak to me through your word if this is you. And I kid you not, the speaking voice of God in my resounded said, turn to Ezekiel. And I would turn to Ezekiel. And there the verse was, son of man, I'm a son, I'm a man, stand in the city situated on the sea, the gateway of the city situated on the sea. And I, I got a little bit disturbed with the spirit and said, hey, I just asked you to speak to me. Is Seattle your perfect will? He said, read it again. Son of man, stand in the gateway of the city and prophesy. No, uh, son of man, prophesy to the city situated on the sea. Stand in the gateway of the city and prophesy to the city situated on the sea. After about the fifth to tenth time reading that slowly, it hit me. Wait, city? on the sea, city on the sea. I thought, oh my God, Seattle, it's a city on the sea. And then I would find out that Seattle was a gateway to Asia and that God had given Wendell, when I called Wendell the next day to tell him I got that verse, his mouth dropped. He said, Jude, you have no idea. God gave me the exact verse a week ago. Then the very next day, when my wife, she was working at the hospital, she comes home and said, babe, I got this verse. Wendell wants us to, we're going to sell everything. We're going to quit our youth pastor jobs. We're going to go, we have to raise money or get job. And she said, Jude, I'm not moving to Seattle because you have a word. Way to go, woman. Way to go. She says, God will have to speak to me for us to make such a move. And I go, you're right. We will be in agreement. I kid you not. The Lord spoke to her, turn to page 121, 121 in your Bible. Now, look, 121 in the Bible is different depending on the Bible you have. The translation, the size, the font size, the print, it was Proverbs chapter one. And my wife, at the age of six, would start stuttering severely. And this is what it said. She will lift up her voice. She, Becky's a woman, by the way, she will make her speech and she couldn't speak in the gateway 
same word I got of the city. When I called Wendell after she got that, his mouth dropped again because Jenny, his wife, got the same scripture. Then what I didn't tell you when my older, I mean, my middle boy was born, Jude was two, John was literally an infant. We were driving out. This is before he even knew he was going to start the church. This is a year before. And we drive 2000 miles from uh, Missouri to go to Oregon to meet with them. Hey, we're going to work together, not knowing it was a church. And he was busy. They had no time for us. And I thought, and I have an infant baby. And finally, Becky goes, Jude, I need to feed John, take Jude, Jude, our oldest son in the car, or go play with him. So I go in the car and I thought, well, I'm a freak. I read my Bible. I've read through the entire Bible. This is my 42nd year. I'll finish it 42 times, the New Testament over 161 times. So when people tell me they utilize or activate faith and they have no scripture, that's bull. Yeah, that's not true. That's something worked up. And so I went in my Bible reading was in Ecclesiastes. Oh, dear God, of all things, I was crying when it started off. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, useless, useless, pilots, you know, rubbish, smoke in the wind, you know. And I come to chapter eight, chapter nine, and all of a sudden, the audible voice of God through scripture began to shout in my ears. And remember, faith comes by hearing. And it says the race is not to the fastest, the battle is not to the strongest, Bread came to uh, men of understanding. It was time and chance or judgment that happened to them all. And right when I read that God's voice resounded, this is how faith works in my being. He said, son, you can't make this happen. happen. This is me. You're not that fast. You're not that strong. Time and chance, you'll work for Wendell. That day I went in and we were going to be leaving that day. He said, hey, God gave me a scripture. He looked. He canceled all his meetings. They hung out with us the whole day. And you'll never guess what he said at the end of the day. He goes, did you go in my bedroom? I go, that's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. Why in the world would I go in your bedroom? He said, and he picked up a Bible. I still see his Bible in my mind. It was the Bible he would preach at our church for over 18 years. And he showed me his Bible. And he said, I just bought this brand new Bible six weeks ago. And I was in Massachusetts getting ready to preach a Dragon Slayer New Generation seminar. And he said, in my hotel, Jenny and the kids went to the mall. I was praying the first scripture that God gave me to start this church is that one. The battle is not to the strongest. The race isn't to the fastest. And that would happen. Time. And time and time again, I never move on an impression. I only move on confirmed impressions. And a matter is established in the mouths of two or three witnesses. And let me be clear, for me to move two or three witnesses does not mean I get a prophecy from someone. Mm -hmm. It means life itself, the stars, the planets are shifting and moving and everything's coming together. And it's like, God is behind all this. There's a righteous wind with us. And all my faith is, is a sail. It's a sail. And I just, whoop, the wind's blowing, whoop. And it's the Bible and the spirit that becomes that rudder. And you'll find yourself like the Ark of Noah. You'll just simply find yourself on a mountaintop and God through faith will reverse the curses of your life. 
That's all I know. Mike, I know there's some stuff that you want to chat. No, go to for Pastor it. Jude about. So, but could you, Pastor Jude, just like at, if, as briefly as you can, there's two things that come to mind. Like, number one, I love everything you're saying. Um, and I firmly believe that the scriptures can and should be utilized this way. Obviously, when Ezekiel wrote Ezekiel, he didn't have your situation in mind. No. So it, that scripture wasn't written uh, to your circumstance. But the Holy Spirit utilizes the scripture for our circumstances. Yes. Can you just, like, if someone is not a mature Christian, they might have a hard time, like, kind of, you know, understanding that and why they shouldn't just open their Bible, point to a scripture and say, that's God's word for me. Yeah. Like, talk, talk that out. And then also, uh, other than the fact that you've read it so, so, so much, how do you get the scripture in you as deeply as it's in you? Because that would just be how would so you helpful. Tell me you do it. How do you how do you get scripture within you? Scripture is not in me like it's in you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, let's do it this way. I don't think there's any new invention of getting the word of God in anyone. And before I tell you how, let's go to that first question. Why in the world would I? If I have to be so technically sterile, like going through med school, explain higher criticism, how the biblical authors wrote, who they had in mind. I don't know. When I got born again, and then I was touched by the spirit, actually, no one told me to get a Bible. It's like, I think I want a Bible. You're not going to believe what I did. This is so, it was 1980. My God, they didn't have Amazon. I went to this place called the Bible Bookstore, mm -hmm. a Christian bookstore. I don't know. I think it was called Bread for Life. <laughs> yes. Weirdest place in the world, but they have. Okay, pause. I had an idea. Mm. I think somebody should open like the Apple Store of Bibles. Mm. Physical location, walk in, super dope store, and you only sell super fine super, like, Bibles. i like that anyway that's an aside <laughs> they're not going to the mall anymore so i'm sure that would still be good it's like a dope boutique store <laughs> yeah in like put it on abbott kinney yeah <laughs> yeah Christ, christians from all over la would drive would to go it. to that that's true continue that's true anyway i will show you this first bible this is it and i'm gonna open it and I pray to God, anyone that you men lead to Christ. What if you had, you know, I led one of the top porn producers in the world of Christ 10 years ago. Wow. He owned the devil's film, Dark Angel, Sin City. Hmm. And he's completely changed. And his wife, who is a Buddhist, is born again. Wow. He has gotten out of the hardcore porn industry. And he's now opened yogurt stands he just finished a book him and i were on 700 club he titled the book breathe i told him do not call your book that you should call your book from hardcore soft <laughs> <not> serve <laughs> and i want to ask you a question really when you meet someone like that are we just plain church right you're going to try to tell them how to read their Bible. Oh, Ezekiel really didn't mean this for you. Then you just screwed them up. Because what I was told when I was, uh, when I got this Bible and in this Bible and in this Bible, 
and all the other ones that I have in this office, I have something in the front of my Bibles that I wrote when I was 20 years old. If the Bible says it, I believe it. That settles it. And can I say, I don't really give a flying rip if Ezekiel had me or didn't have me in mind. And the truth is he didn't. He was a limited fallen prophet who was called by God, who had righteousness through faith in God, looking towards something that would come. I now look back. Can I say when I read John for the first time, whether John thought him, he didn't think of me. But I'll tell you who thought of me, who gave John those words, who gave Ezekiel those words. Do we not believe there's one author and his name is God, that the spirit of God moved on holy vessels, as Peter state, and they wrote that, I mean, God didn't totally possess him, but man and God working together, that this man can meet God through their words. And so for me, if the Bible says it, that believes it, that self, I believe it, that settles it. And so, no. And let me just say, I get it. You know, mm, God, speak to me. Mm. Judas went and hung himself. Oh, not good. Oh, let me try it again. Lord, speak. <laughs> oh, uh, go and do likewise. Ah, you know, I, I get that. Okay. However, what is more desperate? When someone who's in the ministry, they call themselves a believing leader, and when's the last time God impressed on you? And by the way, if the only time God is speaking to you is to bless you and not adjust you, you may not have met him because the Holy Spirit, it, I mean, it's God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. It says when he, so it says a male pronoun, but yet he calls wisdom a sister and the Holy Spirit has a way to be a woman and say, uh-uh, knock that off right now. You know, so I don't know. I think one of the reasons people don't really get more of the Bible in their life because they're, they got in their head too much. They got into higher criticism. That's all good. We need to know that. Mm -hmm. You're a theologian. Hope to God we do know that. But for me, my journey didn't start there. My journey, I, I didn't start. I'm reading this to get faith. Right. I'm reading this because I have a, I've met Jesus and he has it so bad for me. So how to get the Bible in you? Mm -hmm. uh, real simple. First one, read. Read. Okay. You couldn't even be a new uh, a king in Israel unless you copied the Torah and you read it daily. Okay. Paul told Timothy in first Timothy, wow. you will understand my exhortation as you read. And then he gives him a further instruction. I wonder if Paul, I'd say, Paul, really? I didn't listen to this. You didn't write it to me. You wrote it to Timothy. Oh my God. I'm a young Timothy. I don't know about you. Mm -hmm. I'm like my grandsons, like Rio who turned four today. He loved, they all love when I tell them stories. They want me to make up stories, but they like me and they love Marvel comic stories. So he likes Spider-Man. He likes me to make myself one of the characters. So I'll say Spider-Man was going and all of a sudden the Green Goblin came and he attacked Lucy. That's my granddaughter because Rio is best friends with Lucy. But Rio, the Green Goblin came and he attacked Spider-Man. But then Jude, the Hulk came and, and they love it. You know when Rio really loves it? If I put him in the story, why? Because it makes him feel he's a part of that narrative. My God, men, mm -hmm. aren't you part of the greatest narrative ever? Do you know what it says when it says you are my workmanship? You know what it is? Only two times that word is in the Greek. In the New Testament, it's poem. P-O-E-M. You are my poem. 
And then it says that when Paul says in Romans 1.20, you know, his invisible qualities, his eternal attributes have been clearly seen by things that are made. Paul, can I tell you right now, I don't know who ever told someone, and they must think they're a big fat cat, to think that you're going to read the Bible, you know, and, and come on, no one's that smart. And let me just say one last thing about faith and Bible. John Piper on YouTube, who's a reformer. Come on, John Piper, John McCarthy, they don't really, they believe miracles may be happening today, but pretty much not. You know what he said about James 5, where it says, if is anyone sick among you, let him call for an elder, let him pray. John Piper says, he goes, I think we pray, God, if it's your will, will heal them, not because we're seeking God's will, because we have no faith that God would heal them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm not going to stand before God and say, oh, I didn't know you really wrote it to me. I thought he said, you know, wrote it to another people. Paul, Ezekiel did write it to another people, but it's to me. Right. This is living. This, is this isn't a, just yeah. history. This is living, active, powerful. It gets in you. So. How do you do it? Number one, you have to read. You have to read. And Paul says, give attention. You know what he says in Ephesians? This, this should blow your mind. He said, I didn't get it from a man, nor was I taught it from a man, but I received it from the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will understand my revelation as you read. I think we have too many men and women copying, cutting and pasting everybody's sermon from Judah to Chad to Rich to others. Now some of the others, they're not copying them anymore because they did this or that. It, Paul says, as you read, you will understand my revelation. I don't know, guys. I think we need some more revelatory insight in our preaching and ministry and lives than just cutting and pasting all the time. That comes from reading. Second one, as you hear, I personally think it's dangerous for a preacher never to sit and be fed. That's why on purpose, I've created a communication team. I have the five C's. I have, I train them. I, if I could train Jude, I could train anyone to communicate. And, but I, uh, several times, like in a series, I will sit down on the front row to show the church, to model to the church, how this is how you feed. You read, but you hear. Mm -hmm. And I'm not there critiquing the sermons. I don't know. I think a lot of pastors and church leaders today, good Lord, they're like Olympic judges. Oh my God goodness, that was a little rough on the landing. Technique kind of good. It's like, I'm not a, am I really a judge? Of, oh, this is the greatest sermon. You know, I remember one time preaching with someone at Planet Shapers, 20,000 people, and the guy comes in the green room and goes, I was born to preach. And finally, I got irritated when they said, do you think you preach better than Jesus? You weren't born to preach. Hmm. You were born to worship. And by the way, when you get to heaven in the living word, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the sermon, in the beginning was all that. He's God. You think you're going to out preach him? Do you think your sermon has any new thought than, than him? Mm -hmm. You know, and so I don't know. So here, so reading, hearing another one. Memory. Oh, people don't like that one. Mm -hmm. I remember when I got to Seattle because we only had 20 people. We had five young people. Judah, Wendy, Carla, Christy, Mike. And so the Lord said, hey, since you have a lot of time on your hands, I want you to memorize 2 Timothy. I am going to use you to raise up Timothy's. So mm -hmm. memorize 2 Timothy. I did. And after I memorized the four chapters, it took me about, I don't know, three months, four months, six months, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm driving to speak at a Christian school in Canada from Seattle. 
kid you not, the spirit presence of God came in my car. He pressed on my mind. He goes, now that you've done this, there will be a day people pay you to teach them, train them. And he says, I'm going to change people's lives. I swear to you, I had never had one invitation really. And the whole world would open up. Mm-hmm. And so you have to memorize scripture. And one of the greatest mentors of my life is Marilyn Hickey. And she taught me how to memorize books in the Bible. And then, so you got reading, hearing, mm-hmm. memorizing. How about this? And this is the lost art, meditating. Mm-hmm. We don't even hear about it. Blessed is the man. Come on, who meditates in your law day and night. He will be like a tree or Joshua 1.8. Do not let the book think. Listen to this. Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, that you might make your way prosperous and have good success. That's a lot of you in that one verse. So memory. And then the last one, also teaching. I think the church needs to be better taught. And that's why I'm grateful for this video cast or Theo shoes and others. I think, you know, we have a lot of preaching in our churches, but I think we need to introduce in the next two years and the years ahead, more teaching. How can believers, can we use the internet, all this, where people can be well taught of the Lord? And it's something about teaching. And, and that's how I received the word of God and I, I put it in. And for me, uh, this is the last thing I'll say, is the word of God is like, let's say peaches. You go and pick peaches when they're ripe. You wash them. You clean them. You cut them. Then you put them in a jar with water, maybe syrup, something, and you seal them. And when winter comes and there's no fruit on the trees and you feel like God's abandoned you, faith doesn't work. The Holy Spirit could go to the pantry of your heart and he could pull out a can of peaches and he'll open it. And right when you needed him the most, the aroma of God will tantalize your faith and you will awaken again and you will know he's for you and not against you. I think sometimes the situation, the challenge is they only have one can of green mm. beans in that old pantry. Mm. And I decided. I want to be a wise storehouseman that has things of old and things of new. I'm constantly a student of scripture, not to preach, but to meet him. I never read for knowledge. I read for him. I never studied for biblical knowledge. I studied for him. I think if you want to have a lifelong, happy, satisfying, crazy, good, successful marriage, you have to be the student of your spouse. And for the record, Jesus wants to marry me. It's called the bride of Christ. It's kind of freakish. Totally don't get that one. However, I love him. Mm-hmm. And he has it really bad for me. And so that's why I would read. That's why I would study. That's why I memorize, meditate, and I would hear teaching. And because I, I'm in a relationship with him. One last thing I was in, this is where we, I think we'll have to end. Uh, I was speaking in Dallas at a big young adults conference years ago, and I was at Starbucks and he had a big venti cup. And on it, it said this statement, it was written by a teacher in California. You could change your life by doing one thing. So, hey, I hate when tell me people tell me do these five things. Like, get out of my life. Just give me one thing and I will listen to you. And uh, she, and so I, it intrigued me. You could change your life by doing this one thing, by reading. 
She said, when you read, you defy space, time, culture, gender. If you want to be mentored by Socrates, Aristotle, the Buddha, Mohammed, Jesus, uh, Shakespeare, she said, then read them. And then right then the impression came. She said, you want me to mentor you? I said, absolutely. He said, then read me. So you know what I did, Michael, for the next 18 months? Because I'd already finished my Bible reading plan that year. So I got to do whatever I wanted to do. He said, read me. And then you'll see me. I would read the Gospels in the New Testament. This present from that moment to this present day, 161 times. <laughs> now, one of the great faith pioneers, you know what he said? Two of them. God, People dog prosperity. You want to be poor, then don't get married. If you want to take the vow of poverty, become a Catholic priest because they have no responsibility for a wife or a child. Mm -hmm. If you choose to get married and have a child for you not to take care of your family, actually the scripture, I'm wondering if Paul really had us in mind when he wrote this one, you're worse than an infidel, mm. than an unbeliever if you don't provide. Yet you would swear our God was El Chipo and he's not. Mm. So I kid you not, these two faith pioneers said before they were 30, they had read their New Testament over a hundred times. And that became the foundation of wow. their faith in Jesus Christ. I'll imitate one of them. He goes, I saw Jesus. I was on my knees. I had read the New Testament a hundred times. And he says, and he rose off the pages and I saw and I saw that he sits where people sit. He hurts when they hurt. He walked where they walked. And all I know, I don't care if it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I know they didn't know my name, but the one who walked those dirty streets knew me by name. He called me by name. He knew me before I was born. He knew me before there was angel armies, demons, power, death, hell. He knew. And that voice called me and he used those words to do it. And so what I did those 18 months, I had read, you know, like I said, the New Testament, and I wanted to just simply teach the life of Christ. And but in the end, I was changed. Mm -hmm. And so I even came up with a Bible reading plan called Read the Red Stuff. If you need a Jesus shot, you know how people get a vitamin B shot? It's like, just go and read the red stuff for a month. If your mind's being too influenced by a minister on the earth and you're more that minister than you are yourself, read Jesus. Mm. Because the anointing is on the real you, not the you you want to be. Mm. So every wow. time someone wants to be someone else, it's like, oh, can't be anointed for that one. Mm. Wow. Anyway. Gosh, Pastor, this Pastor is the, the single most rewarding conversation yes. I've ever had. Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. We need to uh, drive Please up to Ventura someday and, and take and lunch. Treat, I'll treat you both to lunch. Mm. Please come to and our it church. It will be a party. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we'll do yeah. it. So. Pastor Jude, I know you got something to go to. Thank you so much. Thank it honestly you. is such an honor to talk to you. Honor Thank to have you on the podcast. You and we love you. you. Love, love you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Right.